I'm Roger. This is two vets at the state. Hey, Roger, how do you spell Ithaca? I believe it's spelled I-T-H-A-C-A. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how you spell Ithaca. Well, you know, in Greece, you know that C would actually be a K. Mm, those pesky Greeks and their letters and stuff. So weird. Yeah. Did you know that speaking of places in New York, did you know that Waterloo, New York is the birthplace of Memorial Day? I just learned that, as a matter of fact. What was that, like 1858 or something crazy like that? They were one of the first, or they were the first place to start celebrating Memorial Day right here in upstate New York. So go us, yes. Very So what are you eating or drinking today? Well, I I think we both may have an issue in that we, one of us is farther away from upstate New York right now than the other, but um, I am having a beer uh, called 99 Problems, but a peach ain't one. Uh, it's actually brewed in Denver, but the guy on the can is wearing a Yankees hat. So that's about as close as I can get right now. Um, also eating New York style pizza. So I'm trying to just cobble together all of the intangibles because I don't have like a super cool story this time. What about you? Where are you? So- I am in Hania, Greece, <laughs> um, which is why I made my comments about the different spelling of Ithaca. So I am here on duty with the Navy Reserve. Um, someone's got to do this arduous duty, drinking a local wine um, called Anotria, which is made in Crete, which is where I am. That's crazy, man. Uh Wow, Greece, huh? How is the uh, how how's the economy over there? How how many bottles do you have? It's all of the bottles, right? <laughs> just just the one. Um, but yes, I've had a little bit of a whirlwind week and having another whirlwind week. Um, I am doing some. I do some work for NATO in my capacity in the Navy Reserves, which means well. NATO's in Europe, and I get to come over to Europe to work. And um, so I was at a conference last week, and I'm at another conference this week. Um, But I also had a really terrific weekend in between um, visiting a friend um, in in another country's military who I've met through my service. So it's been wonderful over here. And, you know, hard work, but uh, hey, nice work if you can get it. That is outstanding. I'm super jealous. Um, Some other folks having great weekends in upstate New York. Uh, Friday was National Donut Day. Uh, We didn't mention it in the last episode, so we'll mention it now. And uh, Syracuse.com and NewYorkUpstate.com actually went out and found the best donuts in upstate New York. Um, And we may or may not disagree on this, but uh, their number one was from the Cider Belly, in Albany. The number two, or the, I guess the reader's choice, is where I 100% agree with them, glazed and confused in Syracuse, New York. And when you're there, you got to get the dizzy pig. It's got maple, vanilla, bourbon, glazed with all that, and it's got bacon. So I counted at least four food groups there, totally healthy and good for you. <laughs> um, so what else is going on here? Uh, the weather has been a little nuts. So I guess April was one of the 10 coldest Aprils on record. But May was one of the 10 hottest Mays on record. So I guess climate change is real. I don't, I don't know. What do you think, Andrea? Is it a Chinese hoax? No, it's definitely real. I was in Copenhagen over the weekend and... Um, they were complaining about how hot it was um, because apparently the Danish summer lasts about three days and now it lasts about three weeks. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Mm. It is real and man-made and we are all sinking into the sea. Mm, that sucks. Well, uh, better than uh, the island of Guam, which may apparently tip over because of all of the uh, military hardware on it. Am I right? I'm just, I'm killing it today. Uh, Anyway, so what's going on uh, in the rest of New York? 
So the Canadian tariffs um, that have just been imposed will really, really significantly impact upstate New York businesses, dairy, fruit, two uh, Republican members of Congress who are both um, representing upstate New York districts, um, Congressman John Faso, who's my congressman, and Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, um, who represents the 21st District, the North Country, are both against them because it really, really significantly impacts upstate New York businesses. What else is going on in upstate New York, Roger? Well, it looks like New York may be about to be the 10th state in America to fully legalize marijuana. And I don't want to, I mean, I guess, knock on wood, right? Uh, Governor Cuomo, who's had a progressive bent as of late, mentioned just last week that he is encouraging the Senate to act within days on pending marijuana uh, legislation. Uh, That legislation uh, is called the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, um, which allows not just for private possession, but it would allow tightly regulated possession, public and private, transportation, purchasing, consumption, and sharing of marijuana. Beyond this being sort of a broad bipartisan push, as we've seen throughout the country uh, lately, veteran support organizations like American Legion are fully behind moves like this. And here in New York, the taxation revenue we would get from this uh, would be substantial and would be returned to communities through the Community Grants Reinvestment Fund, uh, through drug treatment programs and public education campaigns, and importantly, funding public schools. So this has the potential to both be, uh, one, the right thing to do, and two, a huge boon to communities like ours in upstate New York. So it kind of seems like a no-brainer, which means that we're probably going to be disappointed. But, uh, Andrea, I'm, I'm hopeful as, uh, as the Senate uh, takes this up. I'm very hopeful as well. And uh, there's some other important bills making their way through the state legislature right now. Um, In the New York State Senate, uh, Bill 8864, and in the State Assembly, Bill 5931, started to make their way through on Wednesday, which are co-sponsored by both Assembly and Senate Democrats. Um, And it establishes the New York State Interagency Coordinating Council for Service Disabled Veterans and defines the powers and duties of the council and requires an annual report. So some work coming out of the state legislature for veterans. Um, Not a lot of veterans realize this, but a lot of the resources that touch their lives um, are actually managed by the state, not by federal agencies. So um, having more state involvement in that um, is very, very positive. In addition, there's also um, State Bill 7001, which establishes a tax exemption for improvements to the property of severely injured members of the armed forces of the United States. Um, Currently, there's already a property tax exemption, but let's say you need to um, change your your home to accommodate disability, wheelchair, um, and so forth. This will support that. And then um, there's also New York State Assembly Bill Number 3557, which also came from 10 Assembly Democrats, which will create a public education initiative designed to eliminate stigma and misinformation about mental illness and chemical dependence among military service members. So a lot of work um, coming out of the New York State Legislature right now. Um, So, Roger, what is going on in the broader veterans community? It is June, which means that it's Pride Month. Uh, So I want to take this opportunity to raise a glass to the members of the LGBTQ community, especially those veterans and service members who have served or actively serving for all of the crap that you have had to deal with uh, in order to serve this country that we all love. And unfortunately, all of the crap that you currently are dealing with as you try to serve this country that you love. So A lot of Pride events going on across the country throughout the month. Um, We'll include some of those on our show notes, but um, but happy happy Pride Month! I think that's something to uh, to be happy about. And you know, when "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" was repealed in 2011, I think it marked one of the most fundamental cultural shifts we've had in the military to go from this all-out, you know, really ban on. 
um, allowing people to be their true selves and be their true selves at work to, um, you know, benefits and support and, and having, um, queer service members bringing their spouses to, um, unit functions to there being formal messages being put out by the military, encouraging service members to march in uniform in pride parades and encouraging them to even carry the, um, pride flag. Um, it really, really, it was something that was, I, I remember just this change that happened almost overnight. It was really, really beautiful. And within the service, even though um, there's still some um, back and forth and a lot of uncertainty because the, uh, the administration regarding transgender service members within the service, um, there is support. So um, we can't give up fighting um, to, you know, fighting for the rights of the people who um, serve their country. But um, it, it is wonderful that um, we support each other um, when we're standing right next to one another. And uh, one more thing on this note. So um, I was at the NATO Committee on Gender Perspectives last week. And um, in, the interna- in international relations, there's not as much of a dialogue about um, LGBTQIA rights um, and certainly not in the gender community. There is academically, but not in these really big international organizations. Um, and Canada actually asked to have it put on the agenda next year and the motion passed. So the NATO Committee on Gender Perspectives in 2019 will have a session that is on the record, um, on the agenda, um, addressing LGBTQ rights. Heck yeah, Canada. Time we, uh, time we got off Canada's backs here, all right? Like without Canada, uh, the world would suck pretty bad. So um, that's awesome. I think that's outstanding. And certainly uh, we stand with the transgender members of the service who might be feeling the pinch uh, in these days as they're worried that their service might be brought to sort of end before they want it to be. Um, not fair to them. We stand shoulder to shoulder with, uh, with those folks and are you know, ready to fight for them. So what else is going on? What else happened this weekend, uh, Andrea? So uh, there's a VWISE conference, Veteran Women Igniting the Spirit of Entrepreneurship. Um, it's a program that's run by Syracuse, but um, they run these programs all over the country. So this one took place in uh, Pittsburgh. Roger, what about this jobs report that's coming out? Yeah, and the May jobs report came out. I think it is, it's great news. Any month that the United States adds jobs, I think it was something over 220,000 jobs were added. Uh, unemployment rate lowest since 2000, which is great news. Um, And I think we should just give credit where credit is due for that and say, thanks, Obama. Uh, Thanks for 96 consecutive months of seasonally adjusted job growth. This is a trend that has continued in earnest since 2010. Um, And thanks to the policies that uh, were pursued, we are seeing what is undeniably a a, a pretty uh, resounding rebound of the American job market. I will say, though, that um, it's not felt by everybody and it's not felt everywhere. And there are still people slipping through the cracks. So uh, in upstate New York, for in particular, uh, the unemployment rate specifically for post 9-11 veterans. So, you know, folks in between the age of uh, right now, 22 and you know 35 ish. Um, the unemployment rate for them is ridiculous right now in Cayuga County. It's near 20%. Um, and in Oswego County, right next door, uh, it's over 40%. Um, that's unacceptable. Um, some of the legislation at a congressional level, U.S. Congress level, to address this has seemed promising, but has fallen pretty far short. Uh, in 2015, the VET Act, which stands for VET's Entrepreneurial Transition Act, Uh, had massive bipartisan support. Uh, It was basically an effort to improve entrepreneurship within veterans. Um, After World War II, 50% of all veterans ended up coming back home and starting businesses. Now it's less than 5% of veterans will come home and start a business. So um, the, the VET Act legislation would have allowed veterans to use GI Bill funding as collateral for uh, business and capital loans. Massive bipartisan support. It came out of the Small Business Committee in the Senate. Uh, the entire VSO community supported it. 
uh, supported it. Um, it had two, as I mentioned, bipartisan Senate uh, sponsors, and then it died in Congress without a vote. So, um, you know, we need to keep up the press on issues like these uh, because economic issues are not felt uniformly for all. And we can't forget who uh, we're leaving behind here. Wow, that's devastating. Well, you also had an exciting weekend, though. So you were at uh, TrueCon, right? I was indeed at the Truman National Security Project's uh, 2018 conference here in Washington, D.C. A great time. It was my first. Andrea and I are both new members of the Truman Project, which is a progressive group of veterans and frontline civilians, journalists um, who care deeply about strong national security and believe that that national security should reflect our national values. Um, So every year they get together for a weekend. They come together to talk about uh, advocacy, elections, uh, what we stand for as a country, and also to enjoy one another's company. So uh, the entire speaking uh, program was was women. Uh, So for those who say that only men can speak on national security issues, or if we invited women, we wouldn't have anything to talk about, Well, we had a fast-paced, you know, pack-jammed three-day conference with only women experts speaking on national security issues, and it was fascinating. So uh, I hope that that sort of bold move puts this this junk to rest. But uh, it was great to see everybody. It was great to hear everything going on. We missed you, Andrea. Um, I hope that next year you will uh, be a presenter there because uh, we talked a lot about gender perspectives and gender issues. I really hope that I can make it next year. And that's a great way to our shout outs because Pam Campos, who just got married, is the winner of the Truman Advocacy Award this year. Nice. Um, so congratulations to Pam, who is an incredible advocate and a wonderful person on some other shout outs. Um, shout out to the American Legion New York on Twitter. Um, they are doing really well and uh, they've recently been highlighting the hashtag Veterans of NY series, telling stories of area veterans. Some other shout outs. Um, it is graduation season. And so all veterans graduating from college and graduate school this season, a hat tip um, to you and um, to everyone graduating from high school right now who is choosing service, whether it's in the military or beyond. Um, best of luck to you as well. Now, with all that out of the way, we can finally get to the reason that we're here. Um, we have yes. yet another outstanding guest with us here today, a friend, uh, both Andrea and I. I don't know how to even start here. Um, I, this guest is, you could say, a very prominent character um, on social media as of late, bringing an almost susical wit to social media, which is uh, which is must needed. Um, he speaks for all veterans, and which makes our job, Andrea, honestly easy. We can just get out of the way and let him tell it like it is. But um, of course, I'm talking about the War Axe. Uh, we have the War Axe here, uh, better known as Matt Moore's, or maybe Matt Matt Moore's better known as the War Axe. <laughs> One of those. Yeah, um, it's great to have you here, Matt. Why don't you tell us a little bit about? Either one of you. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's great to be here. Uh, first of all, very nice to be called a uh, friend. You know, I always appreciate that. And uh, always nice to meet Twitter people in real life and not get murdered. You know, that's always, <laughs> always nice, too. You know, it's like uh, the excitement of, of meeting people in uh, real life. Podcast isn't over yet, Matt. Oh, that's true. That's very true. It could still take a dark <laughs> twist, I guess. Uh, so... Can you can you give us a sense of how how did you begin? What was the what was the beginning of the, the War Axe? Sure. So the way uh, the War Axe character started, uh, there was uh, a fairly well known uh, Green Beret. He uh, has a sizable social media presence, and he uh, said something like, "You know, speaking for all veterans," and then uh, listed out this like rambling uh, you know diatribe of a tweet about. Uh, you know, all veterans are this and that and, you know, cucks and whatever else. And uh, so I saw that and thought, well, that's really dumb. Uh, (laughs) And uh, from there, you know, uh, I was amused by the idea of somebody who actually speaks for all veterans. And then uh, somebody else, I think it was uh, 
Angry Staff Officer is another uh, good social media follow for anyone who doesn't know about him. Uh, actually said to that guy, uh, you are not the Lorax, you don't speak for the troops. And uh, to, that re- to that tweet, I responded, you have summoned me. <laughs> and uh, and that, was, that was the beginning of, uh, you know, my, my life is a Twitter joke. <laughs> so uh, why did you continue and uh, what, what surprised you along the way in the last few months? Well, what surprised me, uh, you know, when I started the account, I didn't think that it would be funny for more than like 10 tweets, you know, like it seemed like a very gimmick uh, sort of thing. I didn't expect anybody to take it seriously because I, I didn't take it seriously. You know, I was uh, basically just being a jerk on the Internet, uh, which is one of my hobbies. Uh, but people, <laughs> what was really shocking uh, was the number of people that uh, really liked it, you know, and I picked up an early following with people and uh, like professional uh, NATSEC folks, uh, you know, people who were national security journalists. Uh, a lot of those folks started following and retweeting me pretty early. And uh, it, it shocked me, you know, every day where I wake up and people still care about these dumb tweets I make on the internet. It's, um, it's a little bit shocking to me, but it's also become uh, more serious over time, which has also been interesting. Yeah. Um you mentioned getting more serious. How have you thought about how the war axe evolves over time? Uh, because it is, um, it is still have that air of lightness, but it's definitely been, I think, a vehicle for people to think about what it means to be a veteran, what it means to be a, a human being. I mean, you've touched on like that deep of a level. So how, was it a conscious decision for you to evolve uh, your Twitter character, I guess, in that way? So, no, it, it wasn't something that I thought about. You know, I'd like to be able to tell you, like, yeah, you know, when I thought of this, I sat down and I had my 16-step, you know, plan to internet fame. And, you know, like, uh, I issued my orders and followed through. But that's not true at all. Like, this is something that developed very organically, uh, something that's really, like I said, been very surprising to me uh, that people still care about it. Uh, but as time went on and I realized um, that, you know, what I was saying, the, these sort of progressive takes that I had uh, were important to people. And it made sense to me because, uh, you know, when I was active duty, so I guess I should back up and say, who am I, right? Yeah. Like, who, who is Matthew <laughs> Morris? Uh, I was a Marine, so uh, I was a, a tanker. And I served from 2009 until I retired medically in 2016. Uh, I got blown up overseas, so I was uh, bad, at, bad at war and uh, ran over an IED. So that, uh, you know, that is what launched me into, uh, you know, Twitter, Twitter advocacy and uh, shitposting. So as, uh, as an active duty Marine, you know, one of the things that um, I was always aware of was that I was surrounded by people who, uh, even if they didn't actually hold conservative views, felt very much like they needed to present that. You know, there's this idea that the military is, you know, monolithically uh, straight, white, male, conservative, uh, like hyper-masculine, especially in the Marine Corps. Um, and I, you know, personally, uh, you know, I didn't fit that. And it was something I was always aware of because I didn't agree uh, politically with, uh, you know, some of my peers, some of the people who were outranked me. Uh, and also, uh, I'm queer, you know, like I'm not straight. And uh, I, it, it was always something that I felt that I couldn't be honest about because I didn't think that uh, the people around me would understand it, you know, because I'm in a, in a situation where people are constantly, uh, you know, joking, but uh, but always with like extreme, uh, you know, like homophobic right. uh, edge to it, which, you know, I'll, I'll say always struck me as very strange as, as a queer person to observe people who say like they're straight, but then engage in like trying to grab each other's asses and, you know, like just dick jokes all day long. like, uh, And then we'll turn around and be like, but no, seriously, like I hate gay people. Yeah. So it was uh, it, it was confusing and frustrating. Uh, but as I was moving, you know, as I transitioned from being, uh, you know, an active duty Marine uh, into somebody who's you know, a medically retired veteran, I, I really started to think about how unrepresentative uh, media, I, I guess, is, you know, and, and the public perception is of how, you know, like of people who actually serve, like who, who are soldiers, who are Marines. Uh, who are sailors and airmen. And, you know, there's this idea 
that I think most people think of. And then there's the reality of it, which is that, you know, a sizable percentage of people who serve uh, are not straight, are not white, are not Christian, uh, are not conservative. And those people have no voice. Yep. Yep. Damn right. And uh, I think it's also worth sharing that you had somewhat of a symbolic moment on your way over to get to the pod today, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I I was a little bit late. Uh, You know, I think uh, life is poetry sometimes. And as I was going to make my exit uh, to come over to to Roger's house, I was cut off by a a Marine Corps branded tour bus, like, you know, like huge, you know, marines.com, Eagle Globe and Anchor, and then like the silent drill teams on the side looking like honor, courage, commitment. And there it is like cutting me off and making me miss my exit. And I'm just like, come on, green weenie. Like I'm gonna, <laughs> give it a break. All right. Like you, you've gotten yours. You don't need to keep doing this. Yeah. That's going to feature prominently in the movie about you here. I hope years. so. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's whoever drove the bus in the O'Doyle rules moment. They're the van. That would be good. I wish, I wish it had driven me off the road and then just killed me. I think oh, that would have been, <laughs> That would have been perfect. That would have been the, the best ending to the War Act story. Well, we would have had a fun new podcast. And that would have been, so okay. It would have been inconvenient. Okay. Uh, you're person. right. So I'm glad things worked out the way they did. <laughs> so now, what is dangerous about this, um, this stereotype about who serves in the military? Well, what's dangerous about it is that it's untrue. You know, uh, like I said, sure. there, there's the stereotype of who serves and then there's the reality of who serves. You know, uh, it, it, especially as I transitioned, so I'm, I'm not a Marine anymore. As I came off of active duty, as I became a, a veteran, a civilian, uh, what was really surprising to me was to find out how not alone I really was. Because once you're out, you know, once you're no longer on active duty, a lot of these uh, fears that you have of, uh, of being found out, uh, of being discovered, you know, uh, that's not there anymore. You know, you don't have to worry about your next promotion being affected by whether or not people found out that, you know, you like men, right? Uh, so I was really surprised to see, you know, just how, uh, how unrepresentative things really are and uh, to find out how not alone I, I really was. And that was something that uh, has been a powerful motivator for me is to, you know, not just to be a voice for progressive veterans, uh, but to make sure that there are people uh, currently serving in the military today who who understand and know that they're not alone, you know, that they uh, aren't the only people who think the things that they do and, and disagree, uh, you know, with with the direction of you know, policy uh, or, or anything else, you know, that, the, that you're not alone, because that was a feeling for me that was uh, incredibly demoralizing, you know, to to dedicate uh, to have dedicated my life to a Marine Corps, uh, which, you know, every day uh, reminded me that it did not like queer people, you know, and that it was not welcoming uh, to people who did not, did not agree um, with this, like, hard right conservative mindset. I think about what it means to be a veteran here as I am also in the transitioning phase of, of service and um, this sort of monolithic hypermasculine view of what it means to be a veteran is dangerous, not just for, uh, you know, the cosmetic stuff that we can see, are you a man? Are you a woman? Are you, you know, you gay? Are you straight or, right. or, or anything there? But also we have this idea that the military is, you know, that veterans, we have this, I guess the social norm is that veterans are combat veterans, yes. right? And we, and, and a lot of us and you certainly fit that role taken fire or fired a sure. weapon or a tank sabo whatever mm-hmm. in anger right but the reality is that the majority of the military is not that right and, and there's folks who you know even folks who like me f- fly in support of combat operations you know i was never shot at i good. consider myself fortunate um, flying on and off of an aircraft carrier is dangerous but um, i was also a naval flight officer i wasn't a pilot so you know, there are layers to how people feel about their service. And when the cultural, societal expectation is not what you really did, you know, I feel like that impacts people's willingness to um, access the benefits that they've earned for their right. service, regardless, right? Like medical benefits, school um, benefits, education, right? All the, the whole nine yards. So it's just, 
the narrative that you are now helping to shape is important in accessing those people because we talk about accountability in the military, right? And we are just not doing a good job of it by just letting all these, the majority of the service. That's right. I mean, you you have to think about what a tiny percentage of the military actually is uh, combat. You know, like who who are the people that actually are on the ground fighting, you know, uh, and it is not at all representative of the great uh, you know, majority of people who serve. And that's absolutely wrong to disenfranchise people that way. It's absolutely wrong uh, for, you know, uh, for, for anyone to say that someone's service isn't as important, isn't as valuable uh, as anybody else's. You know, it, it's something that really, uh, really angers me because of, the, of the, the damage that that can do to people, you know, uh, and people don't, even think about it. And it's gotten to the point where even uh, civilians now feel comfortable with, you know, calling somebody a poke, you know, like, oh, well, you're not really a soldier, you know, you weren't an infantryman. Uh, and it's, it's a crazy thing to say to somebody uh, because, you know, well, for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which, uh, that there is no way that, for example, you know, me, uh, a tanker, I can't do my job without everyone else behind me. You know, tanks are, are a wonderful example of that because of how supply needy we are. You know, like we need thousands of gallons of fuel. We need uh, maintenance support. We need communication support. We need uh, air overhead to make sure that we're not getting killed. You know, like all of these things work together. You know, the military does not work as just the tip of the spear, right? You, <laughs> you need the shaft. <laughs> <laughs> That may be the uh, title of the episode here. There you go. Uh, You're welcome. What do you think, Andrea? <laughs> I think that's terrific, especially in light of a Facebook group that is no longer with us. Yes, yeah. yeah. How sad. And, and, you know, it's really interesting. We, we, think, about, we think about these images of, um, you know, the stereotype of who serves in the military is white male, cisgender, heterosexual, Christian, conservative male who served in combat. Right. And that is not the majority of the military. And yet that is, um, you know, the stereotype. And what's very interesting is now when we think about what this generation of veterans does after service, there are a lot of people running for office. Um, I mean, there are two women veterans of color who are currently in, in Congress, Tammy Duckworth and Tulsi Gabbard. Yes. Um, several more running. But what's interesting is that the New York Times just did a piece on Democratic veterans and all talked about these guys that fit the stereotype. <laughs> so um, what do you think about that? I think it's wrong. Uh, I think it's wrong and it's damaging. Number one, it completely uh, discounts the service and the contribution uh, after service to this country of uh, women like uh, Senator Duckworth and, and it's Congresswoman Gabbard, isn't it? Yeah. Right, right. So it's a message to them that their service isn't as good. And, you know, again, it's something that's intolerable uh, because their service did matter. I mean, for God's sakes, Duckworth is is a a helicopter pilot, right? Like an attack helicopter pilot Mm -hmm. who uh, was shot down in combat, correct? I mean, like this is a person who uh, is absolutely the image of what people expect a military veteran to be, except for, oops, she's a woman. Right. Right. And that's wrong. It's disgusting that that people do that, you know, uh, and it's something that absolutely has to be uh, shouted about every day until people take notice and listen and realize that, yeah, like this is wrong. This is harmful. It hurts people. What are some other common mistakes that um, you're now seeing in, in discussions surrounding the veterans community? I think, uh, well, I think that one thing that you and I have actually talked about before, Andrea, is this uh, concentration on whether or not a veteran served in combat as opposed to things that actually matter about them. Like, is this person uh, somebody who holds policies, uh, you know, that makes sense? Like, does, does this person believe in things that I believe in? Does this person... Uh, you know, promote and propose policies that make sense and will actually benefit the United States? Is this person uh, ethical? You know, is this a trustworthy person? Or is this somebody who's in it completely for themselves? And, you know, and too often, instead of addressing these 
questions of consequence, you know, like things that actually matter, we go down this rabbit hole of, well, he's a pogue, you know, uh, that guy didn't really serve you know, or uh, for, you know, to, to make a, a crystal clear point with uh, recently, uh, you know, and now recently ex-governor uh, Greitens, you know, who is, you know, uh, allegedly committed terrible crimes uh, and is, uh, you know, if you believe the reports, uh, which I do, I have no reason to disbelieve them. Like, this is a legitimately bad person. And instead of addressing any of that, you know, when people came forward to talk about Greens, it instead became an issue of, well, yeah, he's a Navy SEAL, but he didn't really serve in combat as a Navy SEAL. And, like, that's the chief problem with him. Which, uh, you know, it's a ridiculous argument that doesn't resonate with, uh, well, it doesn't resonate with me. I don't care whether or not <laughs> this guy uh, served as a SEAL in combat. Like, what matters to me is that he served, like, check, yes, he did that. He was a Navy SEAL, so he's not lying about that. And he is a combat veteran. Like, Greitens was wounded in combat. So to say that he didn't ever serve in combat is just a lie. But it's also a, a, a distinction that does not resonate, does not matter to civilians. They don't understand. Right. Because the, you know, the Navy SEALs, some of these people came forward and said, well, he wasn't really a SEAL. Uh, and then Greitens turns around and says, well, yeah, I was. And civilian looks at that and says, yeah, he was a SEAL. So what the hell are these guys talking about? Yeah. Right. And so uh, I think that one of the things that's very important uh, for us as veterans, for, for everyone on active duty and for civilians is to just get on the same page about what is actually important when you look at a candidate. Uh, you know, does it does just being a veteran, like, is that all that matters? Uh, or is it perhaps more important to look a little bit deeper and see, like, who is this person? What do have they done? And what do they stand for going forward? Yes, that's absolutely that's absolutely spot on. And and what's what's interesting with the Greitens point is that you know with the the SEALs who are up in arms about the fact that they felt like he was misrepresenting his combat record, what they were really trying to to communicate was that he was a dishonest person. Right. And what what's been really frustrating to me is that none of these voices that might carry a lot of weight if they fit focused on this aren't talking about. The, the sexual violence and the fact that, you know, if what he, it, what it, he's been accused of is true and, and like you, I, I believe it, he's probably done it before. He's probably gotten really good at it and thought he could get away with it because a lot of these people are serial predators. And if you could look at the dishonesty perspective from through that lens, I think it would carry a lot more weight and we could examine um, the people that were elect that are running to elect to represent us um, in through a completely different lens that I think is a little bit more genuine. Yeah, I, I agree completely. You know, uh, I think uh, it's probably maybe even worth visiting. You know, what is this guy? So Greitens was accused uh, as governor of uh, luring a woman into his basement where he uh, held her against her will allegedly uh, took photographs of her that he was trying to use as blackmail uh, to coerce her into silence. You know, like this is uh, horrific, you know, uh, one of the most dark and evil things I've ever heard of, but it really is, as you said, the complexity of it and the boldness with which he executed, which is the most troubling because that doesn't sound like, a guy who's like, well, maybe I'll try luring a woman into my basement and then like I'll restrain her and take a picture. Like, no, like this is this is something this person has thought about. This is something that, to me, uh, seems likely that it was not the first time that he did it. And that uh, is a story. Like that is what people should be talking about, not you know the abstraction of whether or not this guy really is a combat veteran. Uh, well. I, it, not even the abstraction, like this, the stupidity of trying to make an argument that somebody who is a combat veteran is not a combat veteran because who cares? Yeah, exactly. You have to beware of cashing in, uh, people who will cash in on the very high trust that the public still places in us. I think a recent Pew poll, um, the military was the most trusted group of people, you know, more than lawyers, priests, whatever. I think it was like 89% of the public implicitly trust the military and view their view a military candidate as a positive and uh, too many people just uh, one on the on the negative side will 
use that and cash in on that to sort of absolve their disqualifying sins, right? Um, and on the flip side, we do not dig deep enough, as you said, into, okay, yeah, but in the military, guess what? We have some bad people too. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I'd like to think we catch them all because they're dumb, but some of them are just good at covering their tracks yeah, exactly. and into these positions. And you need to ask, is this person ethically good? Are they morally good? Um, more so than uh, did they serve as a you know, one-time only thing. It's uh, something that I like to point out. Sometimes people get very angry with me because I will say very bluntly uh, that some veterans, some people who serve, some people who are on active duty are bad people. Uh, and that's just true. You know, in, in any profession, in any group of people, there Absolutely. are people who are bad, who, uh, you know, their intentions are bad. Uh, and if you want proof, you know, one of the things that I like to point out when people say, you know, all, all veterans are heroes, you know, uh, that, it's, that it's horrific that I could say anything bad about anyone who has served. Um, a veteran murdered the president of the United States in 1963. Uh, a veteran climbed a clock tower and shot a bunch of people uh, in Texas. You know, uh, do we honor them? Like, no, of course not, because those are bad people. Like, assassination is bad. Murder is bad. Uh, luring a woman into your basement to, uh, you know, sexually violate her, uh, that's bad, right? Like, yeah. I don't think that there are people who can reasonably argue against that. Uh, so it's crazy to me that, that there's not more attention, that there's not greater acceptance of the fact that, uh, you know, just because somebody served, that doesn't mean that they're a good person, that you don't need to look more carefully uh, at who this person is and, and what their intentions are and what their goals are going forward. Like, is this a person who wants power for the sake of power? Or is this somebody who, uh, you know, is, is interested in continuing their service and their contribution to the United States and our success as a nation and as a people. So we have listeners who are still serving. We have listeners who are veterans and we have listeners who are just, you know, friends of the podcast from upstate New York. So the question I have is how do we get better at this? How do we get better at managing these situations from wherever we stand? Well, I'll tell you, I'm actually interested in, in what you think about that, uh, you know, because I'll be honest, uh, am I on Twitter.com, the voice of all veterans? Like, yes. Uh, but, you know, who I am actually, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, a writer, right? I write things. I like to tell stories. I think uh, I think that people enjoy, you know, uh, stories that I tell. Uh, and that is the value that I bring is that I can uh, listen to people who are experts and rally people to their cause. Uh, but, you know, to be blunt, uh, I was a tanker, right? Like, I don't know about international relations. I don't know about uh, how to, you know, fix all this stuff. Uh, people like you and Roger are people who I hold in high regard uh, and who I recognize as educated and attuned to these subjects. So uh, I would ask you that same question. How do we get better at this, Andrea? Well, thank you. And, um, you know, I think with, with a lot of these people, a lot of these, because the, the military is unfortunately increasingly becoming more and more of a closed society. Um, you know, I, th I think about some people, unfortunately, they're, of course, we all serve with some people that we might think of being like bad people. And really the way that system handled them was to get rid of them from the current environment, but to, you know, essentially make them somebody else's problem. Um, but the thing is that also means that you have some of these people who, um, you know, are never held accountable, um, in a really meaningful way for, um, what they've done, what may, it, things that may have harmed other people, things that, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Um, the, the other thing that I think we also need to think about, which, you know, switches gear a little bit is the connection between the military society. And um, I'm not entirely sure how we managed to um, really effectively bridge civil military relations. Uh, I'll share in, in the United States, but I'll share some, you know, I've, I've been out here in Europe for the last week and I've, I've been um, working in multinational environments for 
really since 2013 in my military career. And it's so interesting to swap stories with friends from partner nations. Um, all of them say when they come to the United States and it comes up that they're in the military, that they really, really appreciate the, the gratefulness. Um, they love being, you know, it feels very awkward when in the United States, when you're thanked for your service, you're like, Oh man, uh, thanks for paying your taxes, I guess. Right. Um, and there's, but there's an, a real appreciation of that, but that appreciation comes from ver- two very different places. There's some people who serve in some countries where um, there is both a not that much of a connection between the military and society, and there isn't this widespread, um, frankly, hero glorification, veneration of the military. Um, I think the UK sticks out to me um, as one of those countries. But then there are also some countries that have some form of national service. Some of them have um, some kind of national service, not military, um, but they still have much more of a fundamental connection um, between the military and, and, and the veterans and, and civil society. Um, and with them, it again feels the thank you for your service is nice, but it also feels awkward because it's, it's also this, well, serving my community is just what I'm supposed to do. Right. And that is a dialogue I want to have more in our country in, you know, military service isn't for everyone. Um, but I do think service should be for everybody. And that is a problem that I really hope we can all tackle in, um, you know, with, with the resources that we each have. Yeah. I think that makes good sense. Uh, and, and, you know, I think, um, I was having a, a conversation with uh, with Tom Ricks, who is a, a national security uh, journalist for, I mean, before I was born. Uh, very smart guy. And he thinks uh, one of the answers to the problem that we face, you know, with this divide between civilian and the military uh, is to reinstate the draft. And he thought that this would, you know, create buy-in and, you know, people would be more uh, politically involved if they thought that they're, uh, if they thought that they, you know, might have to go fight. And uh, like, I, I hear that argument, but what I think about uh, as a non-commissioned officer uh, or a retired non-commissioned officer is the amount of time that I had to spend correcting uh, people who did not want to be in the military uh, and they joined, right? Like I was dealing with people who, who really the base problem was the Marine Corps was not right for them. And they made a mistake by joining and they did not want to be there, uh, but they volunteered. Right. Yeah. So the, the idea that the solution uh, to this problem is to inject more people who don't want to be in the military into the military uh, doesn't carry water for me. So what I like about what you're saying is that, yeah, like national service is the answer, like getting people involved in the government, getting people involved in their communities. That's what matters, you know, and I think that that is important because, uh, you know, like you were saying, when somebody when somebody says to me, thank you for your service, I appreciate that. I, I do. Like it's, uh, it's nice to hear, but it is awkward for me because what I think about when I hear that is, well, I was doing my job. Yep. You know, this is a job that I got paid, uh, honestly, pretty well to do uh, and that has benefited me enormously. You know, like I... Uh, I'm able to do what I do now. I'm able to, to be a writer uh, because I'm retired, right? And that is something that I could not have done uh, except through my service. So, uh, you know, I, I think that the people are on the right track, you know, that we're getting to the, to the right idea that this gap that exists between civilians and the military, it must be closed. And uh, I think that one of the ways that makes sense is to get people involved politically and, and to make them well, not make them, but, but encourage people to, uh, to be engaged with their community and, and be engaged with what's going on around them, as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, counting on other people to take care of it for them and then feeling, uh, feeling embarrassed about it. You know, I think that's one of, actually, I'm going to keep talking here. Sorry for rambling, but I think one of the things that really makes it awkward about the thank you for your service uh, interaction 
is that, you know, they'll say, thank you for your service. I'll say, uh, you know, you're welcome or, uh, you know, thank you for saying so, whatever. And then almost always what you hear next is I could never have done what you do. And uh, every time I hear it, well, well, now, so now when I hear it, what I make sure to tell people is that they're wrong. You know, I can say, honestly, as, uh, as a Marine NCO, like somebody who has been through the recruit training cycle, has been uh, through MOS school, has been through the fleet, who's been, uh, you know, an active fleet Marine, uh, basically anybody who wants to be in the military will make it. You know, the, the Marine Corps is not in the business of letting people fail recruit training unless uh, something goes very wrong, unless, you know, there's like a, a legitimate medical emergency or you know, failure to adapt, like you are going to be a Marine. So this idea of, you know, I couldn't have done it. Um, I, I think it's important for us to address that. Well, yeah, you, yeah, you could. And because you didn't, that isn't something that you should be embarrassed about uh, because you just shouldn't, you know, we don't all need to be in the military. There are other ways to serve. And that's the point that I always try to make to people is that it's not just us, you know, it's not just the military who's doing all this stuff, just as, you know, the, the frontline combat guys rely on support, rely on aviation, rely on administrative people, you know, uh, society is is bigger than just one you know group. It's bigger than soldiers. You have to have uh, everyone else behind them enabling uh, a soldier class to even exist. So you know when people say thank you for your service, uh, well thank you for yours. You know thank you for going to work. Thank you for being a teacher. Thank you for being you know whatever it is you do uh, that allowed me to do my job and allows this country to be uh, to offer the promise of greatness. Uh, to the world and to its citizens that it does. Damn right. I talk a lot. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> That's a pretty good place to transition uh, to talking about what's next for, uh, for each of us. Um, Warax, what's, uh, what's going on with you? What's, what's next for the Warax? What's next for, for Matt Morris? <laughs> yeah. So for, for both of us, for both uh, the character that is the Warax and, and me, uh, Matt, uh, what I'm excited about right now is that I just launched a, a podcast. That's right. uh, so you, you can check that out uh, at the Twitter. You can go to uh, Warax and Natasha. Uh, that's the show's Twitter handle. You can check out our episodes there. Um, and what we do, what my, my friend Natalia Antonova, who is a, uh, a, a really brilliant woman. So she's a, a Russia expert. She worked, uh, born in Soviet Ukraine, moved to the United States as a, as a young girl, uh, her parents, uh, you know, rejecting the Soviet system, rejecting what was happening at the, as the collapse of the Soviet Union as it transitioned into uh, chaos, you know, and hyper-capitalist uh, insanity. Uh, you know, they came here looking for a better life. And what I really like about her is that she, like, she is the American story. She is uh, an American by choice and somebody who is passionate about this country and the promise that it offers to the world. Uh, so she and I, we've gotten together and we're doing, uh, I, I guess we're like a propaganda, uh, propaganda service, you know, uh, <laughs> offering a, a progressive liberal perspective on world affairs, uh, particularly slanted towards, uh, you know, what these jerks in Russia are trying to pull on all of us, uh, but also dealing with, uh, with events at home, talking about uh, the sorts of things that we talked about today, uh, the issues that face uh, veterans as a whole, the issues that face uh, queer veterans in particular, uh, progressive veterans in particular, and trying to figure out how we can all work together uh, to, to, you know, make the make this country work, you know, to to figure out a way uh, to come to terms with the fact that while we may disagree, you know, while people uh, may be conservative or consider themselves uh, progressive liberals or whatever, at the end of the day, we're Americans and, uh, you know, we have a responsibility as the most powerful country on the planet uh, to act like it, you know, to be, uh, to be what we believe that we are. You know, I think that there's this idea of America as uh, great, you know, as a, as a, uh, a great power, as a, a place where that is a beacon of freedom, right? Uh, and I think that we owe it to ourselves and to the world to take advantage of uh, the opportunities that exist 
for Americans and not for other people so that we can increase goodness in the world uh, and here at home. That's awesome. I guess, yeah. Hell yeah. That's what I'm doing anyway. Well, after you're done with this podcast, listen to that one. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's okay. It's pretty good. It's, yeah, it's just okay. Yeah. Warax and Natasha podcast. Uh, I guess people can follow me. Uh, I, am, I am the Warax. Uh, and follow Natalia Antonova, who is Natalia Antonova. Uh, at, 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 and I never know how to do these like Twitter, Twitter handles. I, you know. Just search for us, you'll find us. Yeah, some bird stuff. Yep, yeah, birds, little birds. What about you guys? What are you guys doing? What about you, Andrea? Well, um, I've got another week of reserve duty left. Um, you know, doing doing the yeah, work of tough. yeah, gender and security. Um, and then I am starting my job for real for real on Monday the eleventh. Um, but I'll also be headed back home to uh, Kinderhook, New York. I'll be there on uh, Sunday um, for a couple of days before stepping off on some more travel. So I'm really, really excited about um, the opportunity to lead service to school. Um, it's such an incredible organization. And I say that not only as an employee, but as someone who's benefited from um, the, the program that um, they've been running for about six years now. Um, and yeah, so I'll be on the road. So I'll be in, uh, Kinderhook. I'll be in Boston, New York city, San Diego, San Francisco, and Vienna, Austria, all in the month of June. Holy smokes. You're an international woman of mystery. Mm. Yes. Yes. Roger, what about you? What do you have upcoming? Well, I am in fewer places, but I am looking forward also to getting back up to Red Creek, where I'm from. Uh, my dad will be retiring from both the New York State Police and the Army National Guard after really a combined almost six decades of service to the state between the two there. Um, he will be retiring. Um, it is also the weekend of my first Father's Day as a dad, so I'm looking forward to that, I guess whatever dads get on Father's Day, like a lumberjack, a chainsaw. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Lawnmower? Yeah. Probably ties. Yeah. It's more <laughs> access in my backyard. I need some help. <laughs> also, um, June 7th, uh, the anniversary of the Battle of Midway coming up. Uh, and I would like to just mention that one of the heroes of the Battle of Midway, of course, from upstate New York, uh, Lieutenant Commander uh, Wade McCluskey's from Buffalo, New York, and he was the Enterprise Air Group commander who, uh, rather than return to the carrier or when his planes and his squadron were running low on fuel, uh, decided to take a chance, take a risk, stayed airborne, uh, and finally spotted what was a Japanese destroyer that led his squadron to two Japanese aircraft carriers and was probably one of the most critical functions of just guts and sheer luck that turned the tide of battle that day uh, and would lead to the most decisive battle in the, probably the history of the U.S. Navy. So uh, McCluskey would go on to win the Navy Cross for his uh, actions that day. It's nice to know that uh, Buffalo was represented well at the Battle of Midway. With that, we just want to say thanks to the War Axe for being here and for being everywhere. Yeah, everywhere at all times, at speaking all times. for all veterans. Well, thank you uh, very much you know, to both of you for having me on today. Uh, again, it's uh, nice to be called a friend. I appreciate that over some other things people call me. Uh, so that's always pleasant. <laughs> yeah, we'll let you get back to your 730,000 Twitter notifications. I've been keeping my eye on it as we're going. It's, uh, it's getting out of hand. Yeah. It's crazy. They should pay you by the They should. They like, should. I'm going to talk to them about that. You could be a rich man. I could be, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Andrea. I'll see you soon. Take care, everybody. <laughs> All right, everybody. Until next time, this is Two Vets Upstate. Good night. <laughs>